This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends. Alternative dispute resolution, appraisal, mediation, other ideas to keep court cases out of the courts, is playing an increasingly important role in insurance claim disputes. It allows the two sides, ideally before any lawsuit is filed, to have an impartial report of damage and repair cost on which to reach a fair resolution of the claim. In fact, appraisal, if it's in an insurance company's policy, is required before any lawsuit can be filed by third parties under Florida's 2019 Assignment of Benefits Law. It's one of the key tools in the broader claims service and strategy toolbox that's evolving in today's insurance marketplace. That's our focus for today's Florida Insurance Roundup. Plus, we're going to talk about how we can encourage those that live in their homes to take mitigation measures, resiliency measures to reduce the damage when the storms land in their front yard. This is a timely program, of course, as we prepare for what could be brewing in the Atlantic as we speak. Joining us today is John Miner, president of Complete Incorporated and Complete General Contractors of beautiful Pensacola, Florida. Complete provides insurance, appraisal, and arbitration, construction cost consulting, and restoration contracting to the insurance industry, local governments, and property owners across the Southeast. John is a certified general contractor, floodplain manager, and insurance appraiser, Exactimate expert and expert witness, and the list goes on and on. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, very glad to be here. Thank you very much, Lisa. Great. And also with us today is Jason Evans, president of EIG Restoration. His company provides emergency services and repair and restoration with offices in Texas and Florida. And Jason has developed a claims repair program for insurance companies and its policyholders and has a team that provides seamless service two insurance customers across the country. Jason, welcome to you. Hi, Lisa. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Very much. So, John, let's start with you. You've got a long history in this industry, and I know often when the storms are brewing, you and your team get in your car and you are chasing the storm, so to speak. So tell our audience what it's like a day in the life of John Miner and Team Complete. So um, I say... uh, uh, my friends in the tornado uh, business chase tornadoes. I say I catch hurricanes. <laughs> they move a little bit slower, and we're typically able to get a, a smidgen ahead of them. Um, I've been very lucky to be able to work with the Florida Coastal Monitoring Program for more than the last decade and, and have been at the, the landfall of most of the, the hurricanes to hit the southeast uh, in that time period. It's a very interesting job. Uh, we do this as volunteers, and uh, and if we took our cars, we wouldn't make it very long. We have a very big, bad black truck that's got uh, every accoutrement uh, that a good uh, person from Central or or North Florida would want on their trucks. So we got winches, and we've got steel bumpers, and we've got antennas that will uh, increase our ability to to use both our cell phones and our and our emergency equipment. And we we actually get out there with the FCMP, and we set the weather equipment. So as the storm comes ashore, uh, we may be moving it from location to location so that we can find the very best locations to to set that weather equipment. 
we then uh, drop it in and, and we try to get in between uh, Doppler radars. So we'll, we'll have a, a large um, hardened weather equipment, uh, at least those ones that are left after Hurricane Mike blew them apart. And uh, we will um, set that, that, that weather equipment. Uh, typically, the University of North Florida will wire the bridges. Uh, the University of Florida provides the hardened weather equipment. Texas Tech provides the stick net stations. And then uh, National Foundation of Science will empower other organizations to bring in uh, Doppler radar. Um, we work in coordination with all those groups. Um, Florida State does the, the study of the data that we provide. And, and so that's the, that's the really initial stuff that we do immediately um, in advance of the storm. We, we have a certified consultant meteorologist on staff and, and a couple of engineers. And, and we all just go out there and geek out and watch <laughs> a hurricane come ashore and, and try to study both its wind speeds as well as the uh, turbidity or the, the, the height of the flood surge while also maintaining a little bit of safety for, for myself and, and my team. And then typically we report to the governor's office in whatever state uh, we're serving, you know, what we're seeing in the field, uh, early opinions. Uh, you know, if you're watching the Weather Channel, they're getting their data from us um, or from the people that I that I work for in that organization. And it's, it's kind of like the wild, wild west, um, except nobody's shooting at me. That's, <laughs> that's probably the only, the only difference. But yeah, that's, uh, that's what we do uh, immediately before the storm. And that gives you some great perspective that we're going to come back to because you know what Mother Nature can do, and you've watched it many, many times. So I'm going to turn it over to Jason, um, who has spent over 30 years dealing with Mother Nature and its aftermath and working in what I'll call blue skies, not necessarily gray skies. So Jason, knowing that uh, we have a cowboy on this podcast, uh, tell us uh, what it's like to be a real cowboy in Texas. I know you do a lot in the rodeo world. So tell us about what you do and, and all the great things you're contributing to the insurance industry and its customers. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, we're we're going to take the information that John and, and the affiliates that he has when a hurricane comes in, Lisa, and we use technology to reach out to insureds before the storm, during the storm, after the storm to communicate with them. So when I say technology, we're going to use artificial intelligence and chatbots to uh, provide that platform to communicate with insureds and get real-time updates from them. And we're going to use that information, and we triage the storm very quickly. Uh, back in the old days, it might take a week, 10 days before we really got an idea of where the storm went, and not so much where it went, but the, the worst damaged areas. Now, with all of the technology John just talked about, and then our internal processes and technology, we're able to identify pretty much instantly where the 100-mile-an-hour winds are, where the 120-mile-an-hour winds are. So who needs the attention immediately, and maybe who is uh, doesn't have quite as much damage. So we triage the storm that way, and then our intent is to get there within one day to that insured's house and uh, look at it. Even if they have evacuated, we're going to go take pictures uh, and provide those pictures to the, the customer of, hey, your house looks pretty good, or your house is really not in good shape. We've tarped it. We've got the debris out of here, and your claim has been filed. It's a, a concierge service, if you will, uh, and really being a partner with the insured and in, a, in developing a plan to get them back to the position they were before the hurricane hit, or hopefully there is no damage and they have peace of mind that their, their property is fine. 
it's providing a little clarity in, in the process as we go through this. That's a, a great calling and a great service for you to, to, to do that for these customers who are in shell shock a lot of times when the storm has come through. So, John, I'm going to kick it back to you now that you have this tremendous perspective of what these storms do from beginning to end or the aftermath. A lot of times I know you work in helping customers settle uh, their claim disputes. You are dispatched by the insurance companies to go visit with consumers in their homes. And then oftentimes you participate in the appraisal process. So if you could share with the audience how the appraisal process works, why it's a, a, a good um, alternative to the court system and what your experience has been, good, bad, or indifferent. Some people say appraisal is out of control and we need legislation. Others say I'll take a 50% success rate and take it to the bank. So we'd be curious your thoughts about the appraisal process as an alternative to the court system. You know, appraisal, again, is, it's a bread and butter of, of what we do. But I tell you what, if we had Jason and his technology uh, out there in advance of, of all of my projects, I probably would have a lot less work, and that would be just fine. Um, we're, we've been blessed that we've got strong relationships with a number of, of, of major insurers, and, and they send us out – we don't have the technology that Jason has, but I'm hoping after this podcast I'll be able to, to find a way to leverage what he's got going on. Um, we have a, a dozen drone operators in our organization, and so we, we overlay our wind maps with the um, damaged area, and then uh, we'll receive maybe 500 assignments of, of locations of the most likely wind-damaged properties in, in that area. And we send out our, our drone operators to, to drone those locations, and same thing as Jason identified. We, very often, they're not even there yet. But but my drone is, and um, we have you know four wheel drives, and this is the best part of the job. We get to you know we get to play cowboy for a couple of days and and go out and inspect and and document the worst conditions and and identify you know what properties are obvious total losses early on, uh, so that those people can get paid and get on down the road and get it off of our insurance company's books and and then of course you know like I said. We we do stick around. Uh, I, I often say we're the first one in and the last one out. Um, so we stick around and end up uh, working in the appraisal process, um, sometimes in, as building consultants before that, where we try to p- go in there and provide the numbers associated with sometimes a little bit more difficult or more special repairs, things that are just not as cut and dry as um, – you know, Xactimate's a wonderful tool, and I've used it since it was DOS-based. I started when it when it started. I started, and um, and I love the tool. I love Xactimate. I always have. Um, with a good operator, Xactimate is just a fantastic, fantastic program. A lot of the work that we do now is an alternative dispute resolution, whether that's um, uh, arbitration or whether that's uh, the appraisal process. Uh, I I work, you know, I work both sides of that. Uh, The vast majority of my appraisals are on behalf of insurance companies. Um, I'm putting together a real-world number for a real repair uh, that I could feel confident, that I could, that I would feel good about seeing that person at my local Publix or the Dell Champs or the Bigly Wiggly, if there's still one around. 
and, and saying, listen, I, they can look at me and know that I, I priced that roof so that it could actually get done by a real roofer who doesn't have to cut corners, that can, that can pull a permit, that can replace the decking as necessary, that can, you know, put the proper, bring in the nail spacing so that that, that roof's installed to code, so that, that the flashing is replaced when it needs to be, and do the job the way it it's intended to be done. You know, when I started this business, like Jason, 30 years ago, uh, we had an adjuster that would stick with you until that job was done. I mean, that job, that adjuster was with us all the way along. They were there at the beginning. They were there at the middle when, when a supplement might come up that was necessary. And they were there at the end to, to release that recoverable depreciation. And there was a strength of relationship that was gathered by that process and they knew that they could trust complete uh, and they knew that they could trust guys like Jason and it seems like a little bit of that's been lost over the course of the last um, you know dozen years um, we we very much uh, feel like some of that uh, is picked up through the appraisal process we the appraisal process is a place for reasonableness um, fully outrageous demands are going to be uh, be washed away by by the by the process. A a true umpire is going to be writing things in such a way that that they could explain it to any person. That they could they could stop in the middle of a PTA meeting, uh, pull eight people aside, and say, "Hey, this is the way I see this value. This is the way I see this claim." And, and this is why I allowed what I allowed. And this is the direct physical damage that goes along with this repair plan. And, and these are the values that I picked up. When I do school district work, I don't really, I, I certainly respect what Xactimate says, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go pull public information records. And I may pull it from that county, I may pull it from the next, next district over, I'm gonna pull it from the courthouse that just got a roof replacement that are open bid, and I'm going to find out what's the real value of a five-ply build-up roof on a on a school building in Amarillo, Texas, or or uh, Milton, Florida, or wherever it might be. And so, true appraisers, whether you're working for the plaintiff or whether you're working for the defense, they're looking for a reasonable, fair number, not the most that they can receive, but the most that is reasonable that they can feel comfortable with demanding and 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 then or awarding and so it's a it's a really difficult job um that uh frankly could be that is that's that's not right we make it much more complicated than it really is what it is is it's just being fair looking at the damages establishing true values for those damages and and then having the the backup to explain the why. And so that's what we at Complete try to do a little bit more of, to, to be known as a, as a fair group, somebody that you can talk to, and that when you see our letterhead show up, you can go, well, goodness gracious, I can do something with this. And then, you know, I know that, that John and his folks have, have, have looked at this not from any one person's perspective, but looked at it as what is the better, what is the common good? What would those eight people in the piggly wiggly parking lot? How would they see it? And 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 what are the real prices that are in a market? And and so we that's what we do. 
That's wonderful, John. And to look at it from a holistic perspective. So I'm going to kick it back over to Jason. Jason, I know that you take very seriously your tremendous work in what is technically known as an option to repair, meaning, and you can explain that better than I can, that insurance policies will have in them that the insurance company is going to take care at their option, you know, to help the consumer put their lives back together. Can you take where John's talking about, because appraisal is typically on the back end, you're working on the front end of a claim, and how options to repair, you know, repair programs are a benefit to consumers especially for those like me who can't spell construction. Jason? <laughs> uh, agreed. Yes, uh, the option to repair, as you've described it, is the insurance company's option to repair the residence. And they can designate the uh, the repair facility that's going to do this and uh, pick the restoration company. So in doing that, the intent is to get the insured's home fixed as quickly and as efficiently and as professionally as possible and take the confusion out of the claim. And, and when you get right down to the bottom of every claim, the insured wants to be paid what it costs to fix their home. And, and that's what we owe the insured and, uh, and to provide them the best warranty they can have in the business so that they have peace of mind that they got a quality repair and there's going to be someone there to stand behind that repair for the next 10 years. So that's what we do. We come in on the carrier's behalf, and we we tell them we will take care of this. And our intent is to get a letter of recommendation from the insured when we're done. Many do not want the option to repair, and and so we take it as a as a challenge really to to wow them with customer service. And uh, I say wow them. We just want to be very uh, present and answer all their questions, and and no detail is left unturned in the claim in their repair. So we do that by taking time and being very attention to detail, as I said, and, and providing clear expectations of how the claims process is going to go. So we've had great luck with that in Florida and uh, in other states. It's, it's widely uh, used uh, in the, the provision that's in most insurance policies, and I think you'll get to see more and more of that in Florida and around the United States as, as time goes on. Jason, do you believe, and, um, and John, you can comment on this as well, but I'll, I'll stay with Jason for just a minute. One of the hypothesis, hypotheses in this market is that two or three out of every five claims that go to lawsuit, those lawsuits could be avoided if the time, attention to detail, and concern, and compassion were displayed either at the time the claim is adjusted or while the claim is being the repair and the damage is being repaired. Comment on that, Jason, and why you believe that or don't believe that um, in the work that you do every day with consumers. What are your thoughts? I absolutely believe that. I think it even goes a little sooner than that. I would say at first notice of loss, when an insured files their claim, they want to know two things. I do. If I file a claim, you saw me and you know what my problem is, and then you're, you have a plan to fix it. So that's what we owe our, our public and our, our insureds in the market is those three things and then a plan forward from there. So it absolutely can take out 40% of the claims that go to litigation, Lisa, because I don't know of any insured that wants to sit with their house torn up in disrepair for 6, 8, 12 months. Most people just want, give me, let me have the money and let me have a certified contractor that will do a 
very good job, and they're they're happy with that. So that's what we owe them, and that's what we provide. And I think you'll see that in the market. The companies that do that well, and it is right now, the companies that do it well are successful, and and, and then there's some others that uh, that don't. So you always have two sides of the coin, but. We, we see it in the market, the customer service and taking care of people. And it's what insurance originally was founded on. And, John, you're in these appraisals. You're in these alternative dispute resolution meetings. Do you often hear, you know, the, the customer or the customer's representative say something like, the adjuster didn't know what they were doing. They didn't. They didn't care. What is the what is the mood when you're in these meetings? And does it support that if we did more, we could avoid some of this litigation? Does it? I just could not agree more. Uh, I, so my you know my background. I'm I'm a I'm from the boots contractor. I mean, I my left arm's longer than my right from carrying my dad's toolbox since I could pick it up. So that's that's where I come from, and in my initial all of, all of my initial success in the business, we were not direct we were not direct repair as much, but we were preferred contractors from those insurance companies. So we would get a phone call, you know, Friday night at seven o'clock, and say, "Hey, we got a fire over at three eleven Elm." Well, you would see my black truck in front of that house about seven forty five. And um, and all those po- all those folks wanted to know was that we cared and we were confident mm-hmm. and, and and we were both and if and citizen says call us first well I think Jason's ahead of it he's calling them first <laughs> there's no there's no reason that what J- Jason has put here it's not amazingly successful it should be the model for every insurance company because all these people want to know is that you like he said you you hear them and you care and if we can get that out there then these armies of of AOB roofing contractors and others that are going to triple the value of the claim so that they can somehow end up uh, resolving it in a number that they're comfortable with or that, that allows them to pay for their Rolls Royces and their, and their sports cars. Um, it, we don't, that's not necessary. I don't think that, that a contractor should be getting rich off of these off of this job they should be making a good margin and they shouldn't be having to say that a uh, a shingle roof is a thousand dollars a square um so that they can end up at, at 550 or, or 450 that it's the actual value depending on your market and i think technology is absolutely the place to do it because now everybody's got a cell phone right mm-hmm. it's so much easier to get to these people to send them an app that says hey start pay- taking pictures of your damage because we care about what your damages are and if you've got a 12 ton tree through the middle of your living room then boy we need to send somebody out there right now to get that tree out of there or get your contents out of there or or send you somebody there that can help you um, get the few contents that might be salvageable out of there before they're all ruined. And then also, frankly, before unscrupulous contractors or, or, or in some occasions, public adjusters are going to be canvassing and knocking on doors and making a bunch of false promises uh, that, that in many occasions, you know, some of them are probably wonderful, good contractors or, or uh, adjusters, but the vast majority of my experience is not those. I, <laughs> I get the I get the ones that are making outrageous demands for for uh, for unreasonable. Ex- 
expectations. And and I think that what Jason's got going is just uh, is the future, and it's the method of applying old school values in a modern uh, society. Love it. That's exactly the way we can look at that. John is old school values and how we continue that tradition. Um, I want to change just to go in one qu- other quick direction. And I want to talk about both of your ex- experience in the aftermath of a hurricane and how often have you said to yourself, gee, if they had just had a few more clips on their roof or if they had had a, a garage door braced or if they had strapped down their roof and made that house more resilient, I wouldn't have to do X. And Jason, I'm going to ask you because you've worked Harvey in Texas and all these other storms, you know, what is what goes through your head when you show up on site and you see oh, they had just done X, it would have made it better? And do you think that there's a play that we can get homeowners to continue to think about that to do some of the simple things they can do to make their house more resilient? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I do. I do, Lisa. I think you're right. Uh, most of homeowners don't really know what it takes to keep up a house, unfortunately. So when you get out there to a lost site, you, you do have those thoughts of, golly, if they'd have just done this or that, or they would have saved themselves so much time and effort and headache, let alone money. So I, I take that as an industry. That's our job, right? As an, as an insurance company, it's our job to go out there on an annual basis and let an insured know, hey, here's the things that we think you should improve on your home. Not in a penalizing manner where they have to pay more rate, but in a helpful, collaborative way. And so that uh, it really is a partnership, you know, and, and I think that's, once again, to the successful companies, they're partners with their policyholders in that they, they view that let's get this right, let's make your house whole, and uh, let's protect it. So uh, to answer your question, it's absolutely imperative that, that customers harden their house. Now, you say that they go to a website and look it up and they think, well, I don't even know what half of that means. So we need, as an industry, we need to go out there and educate them and let them know, hey, here's what we want you to do on your house, and this is why it helps you. And most people will comply. They, they want to protect that property. That's the, the single biggest investment they have in their life, and it's their pride and joy. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a collaborative effort to do it. And, and, John, when you were working Hurricane Michael, because I know that the Panhandle is your home, and you were doing all those counties that were affected – you know, we, we talk about making sure these homes are more resilient with the roof straps and the, you know, the strong windows and the garage doors that so they won't blow in. Did you see the building codes that could have been stronger? Or do you think the building codes had an, the, the lack of strength of the building code had an effect on the damage in Hurricane Michael? What are your thoughts about that? Well, so that's a couple of different things there. So one benefit that we had in Northwest Florida was rebuild Northwest Florida. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we had a hazard mitigation grant program there that was very successful uh, in hardening houses, uh, adding tie downs and and providing federal funds to help individuals, to help homeowners uh, in that process. And, 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 you know, it's the it's I I actually did a a TV show or a TV special years ago with a with a DIY channel on the last house scanning was the name of it. And I worked with um, um, CNN and and, uh, uh, Bonnie Schneider and then uh, Kayleen McCabe. Um, And what we focused on were the, the, the pinch points, right? That garage door, getting it so it's properly braced, um, the, um, the, the tightening of the nailing pattern for roof uh, installation, the um, 
and and we found that that makes a big big difference and and we we certainly appreciated that i see that being a little bit more of an issue on my commercial construction, my commercial projects, because I I, I get these um, – in some occasions, I'll get a uh, – where a property will have been looked at. Uh, of course, somebody came out and did underwriting or, or didn't do underwriting when they took a particular uh, insured in, and maybe it's a commercial building, and maybe it's got a, a 30-year-old roof or a 40-year-old roof. You know, It's got a, a much older roof. And I tell you what, it's amazing to me that they, in some occasions, the experts that show up once it becomes an appraisal or a claim, all of a sudden can give me a list of things that are not not sufficient or not correct associated with that construction. Whereas I don't know where that expert was, in, you know, the year before the storm came. Uh, if I think it'd be nice if we had a little bit more attention in that um, in that early uh, review, in that early uh, understanding standing over the risk that, that folks are taking um, and, you know, give some of these commercial property owners a little bit more guidance on, hey, this is a 40-year roof. Um, is it going to be time here shortly to, to get that roof um, replaced? Uh, is it a or is it a tar and gravel five ply roof that's going to be fine and and it's going to and it's got another ten years or do I, can I get an engineer that can certify in, indeed that you know that this, this roof is functioning well and doing a, a good job? Um, it's it's a little frustrating on occasion on on my larger commercial projects that uh, immediately after a claim is presented, all of a sudden these experts that show up are able to just within minutes document all of these conditions that make this uh, roof uh, non-compliant or um, damaged before the wind when, gosh, we sure had an opportunity to look at that before the, someone took that risk. So that's that's a little bit of the rub that I see down the road in the appraisal side of it. Um, you know, it's it's that's a little bit of the rub I see sometimes. Well, I appreciate that perspective tremendously, and I know we could continue on about how to just keep the trains on time with these claims, timely claims, making sure that we're out there as quickly as we can because a delayed claim is a more expensive claim. You've heard that before as well. And the two of you are at the top of your game, serving your customers, which are the insurance companies, but ultimately the policyholders that they serve. I do hope that each of you can sit down at some point and talk about how we just make this process smoother, more educational, more facilitative, and of course, more compassionate, which is one of the things that I have worked on in the past where I've uh, taught a class on bedside manner for adjusters and how they can learn to, to do things just a little bit more compassionately. So with that, I'm going to call it a wrap for the day. And I just can't thank you enough, John, for taking time out of your busy days with all your appraisal and, and other work that you do um, and helping consumers. So thank you so much for being on the show today, John. Well, it's been my pleasure. And, and frankly, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I don't know anybody in this business plaintiff, defense, adjuster or not, we're all there because we want to help. 
Right. That's why people get in this job. They don't get in this job for the money because it certainly isn't a, a very lucrative job, at least initially. Um, it, it, they get in it because they want to help folks, and that's they want to rush in and save the day. <laughs> and uh, I think any tools that we can do to to help people serve one another best is, is going to help all of us. It's, it's going to help uh, the industry. It's going to help the people, and that's what it's all about. That's the right philosophy. And, Jason, I know with, with your uh, Texas up bringing and what you do for customers. I just can't thank you enough for being here. Any closing thoughts? I'm glad to meet people like John and, and just see how the industry's changing and, and turning to more of a customer service focus. So I think we're in an exciting time. It's scary in Florida. We see that with the carriers, <laughs> but there's going to be a pivot, I think, to more customer service and, and more partnership with the, the clients, with the insurance company and the insurance. So I appreciate you having me on and, and uh, look forward to listening to your podcasts and, and the information you put out there. Thank you for what you do. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. And I want to ask the audience, what do you think? We want to hear from you. I mean, your experiences are what keep us going in this podcast series and give us ideas. We hear from many of you after these podcasts on a regular basis, and thousands of people do listen to these podcasts and find them very helpful and educational. So what is your experience and what else can we do to improve the claims process that we discussed today? And would love to hear your feedback as audience members, particularly as we are preparing, hopefully for no storms this season, but we shall wait and see. You know, you can call us at 850-388-8002. That's 850-388-8002. And just leave us a message tell us what your thoughts are. You can email me personally, Lisa Miller at lisamillerassociates.com. And I'm usually Johnny on the spot. And I love talking to our podcast listeners and our newsletter listeners. And you can check out our website for previous podcast at lisamillerassociates.com. So that's this edition of the Florida Insurance Roundup. I want to thank you for being a part of it. Those of you that listen to this and take the time to learn and be more proficient in your profession or just whatever you do every day. And remember what we do is fueled by what you do. And we have a passion for policy and client success. So with that, I'm Lisa Miller. Until next time, stay safe. And no hurricanes is our wish. Take care. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.